You mean I can get on stage and make fun of my ex-wife? That I owe that to Sam Kennison. And basically, it's Twitter now. Ow, ow, ow! You know, I don't want to carry this shit around with me. Like, in the South, old people have paper routes. Comic, stripper, comic, stripper. Steve Mudflap McGrew. Hey guys, welcome to In the Springs, episode number 68. I'm your host, Ryan Lowry. Thank you for tuning in. On today's show, I sit down with veteran stand-up comedian Steve Mudflap McGrew. I was able to connect with Steve at the legendary Looney's Comedy Corner right here in Colorado Springs on October 22nd before his headlining weekend at the club. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy because comedian Steve Mudflap McGrew is in the Springs. Excellent. Well, I have got, finally... Oh, my God, questions. You betcha. Steve McGrew in the Springs. Yeah. How the heck are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the oh, show. Oh, man, my pleasure. Now, I think um, you and I had tried to connect when you did the New Year's Eve show here, and I don't know what it was. What happened? What, I, yeah, if it was weather or whatever it was, but I wasn't... Because you did New Year's Eve here yes. this year, and then is this your second time this year? Or? Uh, no, I didn't... Well, I guess it would be... Technically, Technically since I did New Year's, but okay. first, this is my first time back. Got since it, New got Year's it. Yet. Okay, okay. And then you're you're definitely a regular here. At, yeah, I at love Looney's. this club. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. All right, Steve. Well, I want to kind of start at the start. Obviously, I did a you know a little bit of research on you, and uh, but how did you decide to get into the comedy scene? I know prior to that you were doing some creative work in Texas. Uh, doing editorial cartoons? Yes, and... I worked for the Houston Chronicle, the newspaper down there. I was the staff cartoonist. Okay. And by that, I mean, I was the guy, the go-to guy. Like, they would write a story, and they'd come to me and say, we need an illustration to go with this. Gotcha, and okay. so then I would read the story, and, okay, this is the illustration, comedic illustration to go with it. And so how did that segue into, you know what, I'm going to get up on stage in front of strangers and try to make them laugh? Um, well, I knew humor was what I wanted to do all my life. And I, I had gotten in with uh, Bill Hines, the cartoonist who does Tank McNamara. Oh, sure. The, the stri- comic strip. Yeah, Tank yeah. Mac- uh, Bill was the cartoonist for the Houston Chronicle before me. And when I was in high school, I would go down and hang out and watch him, and he would let me ghost things. Like, he would pencil it, and I would ink it, and those kind of things. So I kind of got my hand in the job. And uh, when he left the Chronicle to do Tank McNamara full-time, he recommended me to for that job. Wow. So I was already in college uh, on art scholarship. I was going to, you know, I wanted to be, uh, at that time, I thought maybe I wanted to be a fine arts painter. You know, like you have this art in you. Right, right. But then you realize, um, you know, there's a lot of starring artists. And, <laughs> and cartooning is quick and it's easy yeah. and it's black and white. And, and it's art. It's art. Of, yeah. It's still art. So yeah, I took the job. Gotcha. Dropped out of college and and that was what put me there. So now to go back to Bill, my connection with Bill, Bill Hines was dating a girl that was hanging out at the comedy club. She was doing improv. So I was going through a divorce and Bill and his girl said, hey, why don't you come down to the comedy club, hang out and cheer yourself up. So now I'm at the comedy club. I think it's funny. And I think I could do this. 
You mean I can get on stage and make fun of my ex-wife? This is like, <laughs> this is like therapy. Right. Yes. So that was it. That was my transition to uh, it, stand-up. Once, nope. I, once I did it once, they're like, do you want to come back? Yeah, I'd love to. Did it again, you know. Now, and, were you a fan of stand-up prior oh, to big that? Time, or was, big okay. time, yeah. I was a big Jonathan Winters fan, and I was, uh, you know, I loved all the what they called the second bananas back in that day. Yeah. You know, the Don Rickles and the, uh, you know, the Marty Allens and the old school right. guys. Because I used to watch daytime TV with my mom, like Merv Griffin, and they'd have those comics on. Sure. So, yeah. Smothers I, Brothers. Yes. And, yeah. I always loved comedy. and. Then I started getting into the albums when I was a teenager, the, the Smothers Brothers albums and all that kind of stuff, and uh, bought the Moms Mabley dirty albums that I had to hide from my parents, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go get some new pussy. You get new pussy here if your dick's bigger. You know, those kind of, you know. Right, yeah. right. So now what was that, that transition from being a, a cartoon artist to dabbling in stand-up to kind of pulling that, trigger i guess and saying this is what i do now i'm a full-time stand-up comedian how, um, how did that manifest that i owe that to sam kennison um sam and i were were uh we started together because i started in houston you know the the comedy work shop there gotcha and it was hicks and kennison and uh mike vance and uh you know all those guys that the outlaws yeah and i was doing comedy and stand-up at night and still did my day job and I was drinking and partying like a fool and it was just getting to be too much. Like I was, sometimes I'd stay up all night and just go directly to work and it got to the point like, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to go back to my real job. Well, Kennison one night we're talking and he goes, don't do it. You got to do stand up. You're, you, this is what you bound to do. You were de destined for this. You were, he goes, you're one of the best. And he told me this, you're one of the best comedy editors that I know. And by that, you know, he means like a, you know, only the amount of words that I need, you know, don't yeah. talk to, get to the punchline. And if you've ever seen my act, I, I try to do it faster than a lot of comics. Right. I try to keep it something like a punching bag. And uh, he goes, just do this. Don't regret it. Don't be 70 years old and go, I wonder if I could have made it. Yeah. So I went back and to my job and wanted to talk, talk to him about taking a leave of absence so I could do stand-up, and my boss was really cool, you know, and he was like, yeah, you know, yeah, go ahead. It, you might be here when you get back. Right, You know, right. it's one of those. So how did and that, I never looked back. How did that, um, where Kinnison kind of touched on sort of the efficiency of, of the, the jokes that you were writing and delivering, how did you tune into that? What, what in your brain said, okay, the fewer the words... Cartooning. The, I was just going to ask cartooning. you if that tied the panel, into it. It's the panel. If you ever looked at the panels in cartooning. You've got three shots. Yeah. 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 And basically, it's Twitter now. It's come down to, so like, you have this many characters to get your thought out. Yeah. And you can, you know, when you're on stage, sure, you can pad it a little more and make it a little more visual, but you don't want to take it too far. How many times have you seen a comic, you're like... I've already figured out what the punchline's going to be. <laughs> right. You, you up, talk up, too long. <laughs> yeah. So now what, what year would this have been when you were... October of 79. October of 79 was the first time on stage. First time on stage. And so Kinnison and Hicks and that, that scene down in Houston, where were they at in their careers? Just like, starting. Just starting. Yeah, yeah. Now, was there anything about those two in particular? Obviously, those are two marquee stand-up comedians and, you know, kind of the pantheon of, of stand-up comedians. Was there any indication of what they were doing was unique and different that you 
yes, could uh, recognize these well, guys were, are going to blow up. Well, yes and no, because at the time you don't know, but what what they did was exactly what they did eventually. Yeah, it's sort of like they had already found a voice early. Yeah, you know, when Sam was screaming, ow, 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 you know, right. Eventually, that was just going to be. It got bigger and bolder. It, that wasn't his entire act then. Yeah, but it was just you know. One of those pieces that goes, that's that works for him. Yeah. And it was really kind of neat. I don't know how it is in this day and age with a lot of the guys, but we all used to write for each other because we we didn't we weren't trying to beat each other. We were all new comedy. The scene was sort of new. There wasn't a 50 million comics in America. <laughs> right. You know, seriously, I was told one point, like in 1980, there was like 500 comics. Like they were paid like. 500 actual right. paid comics. Now, everybody you know is, oh, yeah, I do stand-up, or yeah, I did stand-up, or yeah, I have a brother that's trying to... And uh, So it wasn't the cutthroat business. So a lot of times we'd be like, you know, I wrote this, but it's more you. Yeah. I thought of this, but it's more... And we used to do that kind of stuff all the time. So. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned Kinnison kind of having that really distinctive voice and, and sort of a persona on stage. How did that evolve for you when when you sort of felt like this is who Steve McGrew is when, when I'm on stage. Was there a... There was a, a moment for... Well, I started off uh, more of a prop comic. and Because it was an, an art background, I used to create things. And, uh, and then at one point, I, did, I drew the news on stage. I had a giant sketchbook, and I would draw, like, the Ayatollah today, <laughs> rip off the page. you got to be kidding told me. Gerald Ford, <laughs> and, and I would do... I did that. Oh, my God. And then I realized... I don't want to carry this shit around with me. <laughs> so it was more of a practical yeah. consideration. Yeah. That, yeah. So then I moved away from props wow. to, to doing actual, you know, just stand-up. Yeah. And then what clicked for me one day was I was in a hotel room, a bit out on the road, and I was tired and I really didn't want to do the show. And I didn't want to get dressed up at this because I was wearing suits and stuff. And I just didn't want to do it. So I went out on stage like me. I just went out. And I realized that's what I needed to do. Yeah. It clicked. It really in my head was like, stop pretending to be a comic and be yourself. Don't try to use a pattern. Hey, you know, have you ever noticed that? Are you relating to that Absolutely, kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. And one day you realize it's your voice that you're supposed to use. So and how, how did and that, I think those guys, what I'm going back to, is those guys hit it early. Yeah. Those guys knew. They just came out and Hicks was Hicks. Get it, ah, get it, you know? <laughs> so how did that open things up for you creatively, like where you could be more authentic and true to yourself and, and maybe have more personal jokes as opposed to joke jokes and that kind of thing? What did that, how did that evolution happen for you? Um... Well, I just got the more the more that I did it, the, and the more you do it, and the more you realize life gives you stuff. Um, it, it just makes it easier to get up and tell a story. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I tried to do because you, it makes it harder for people to steal your stuff if it's based in your reality. Right. You know, anybody can take a joke joke if it's, you know, that type of. Uh, what did the carrot say to the apple? You know, right, that kind right. of, you know. Or just general observational general stuff. General observations. Yeah. Like, and, and Leno told me years ago, years and years ago, there's only 12 premises. And basically, it's your take on that premise. 
And, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. There's driving, there's relationships, there's, you know. Yeah, there's family. Family, yeah. there's, you know, there's these things. And that's your, it has to be your take on those those things. Wow, that's really interesting when you boil it down like that. that now, when you're developing your material, are you kind of working it out on stage? Or what's your process for coming up with what you would call, okay, this is a new bit. Now. Well, I used to work it out on stage, and I still sort of do. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not a sit down and stare at my computer or a pen and paper writer. I write ideas down, or I jot ideas down, or I carry my phone around and I talk into it ideas, and then I take that on stage. Because I really believe that when you're on stage, your brain is in a comedy place. Yeah. It actually goes somewhere. And you're like, holy crap, I couldn't have thought of that punchline in a million years in a hotel room. So you want to do that. But also what I'm finding out now is because I love Twitter. I actually love, I'm at like 94,000 followers now, which amazes me. <laughs> but I use Twitter now as sort of my sounding board because I, I can think of the joke, like you said, in a few amount of characters, right, right. put it out, and how many likes did I get? How many retweets? Fuck, this is one of my act, you know. No kidding. Yeah. So that's a that's a really clever idea to to you because you know it's funny I th a lot of the comedians that I've talked to that come through loonies and I would assume just sort of in general there's kind of a love hate thing with social media because it does put your material out to the world yeah but you're kind of making your living no come and see me yeah did you like this joke right. I'll be at your comedy club yeah you know? and I think in this day and age social media is the star it's if you can work social media on all levels then you have fans uh, whether it's uh, you're on vine or utah because i have a youtube channel and i have a you know the my, my twitter account and facebook and so it the more people that that like you and know you as you know this day and age there are people that are actual youtube stars absolutely yeah uh, there are bands that have made it because they didn't have a record deal they were youtube stars yeah and they got twitter followers that would tweet out hey they're playing such and such club <laughs> boom yeah. So I think you have to learn to use all this stuff now. And how has that that evolution been for you, from you know starting in the you know late seventies, early eighties, through kind of the boom during that time, and then the nineties where it felt like things cooled off maybe a little bit, and now into the social media era. How, how have you managed to kind of keep that, for lack of a better term, kind of that energy and that passion to to continue doing what you're doing? I lost it for a while. Yeah, about. Uh, I guess 97 to 99, I wrote, uh, I was hanging out in L.A., and I wrote a pilot for a sitcom, sold it to Disney. I kind of, uh, you know, I was, got the, this is it, I'm going, everybody's congratulations, got the write-up in Variety, you know, there, the new guy. And, uh, Disney dropped the pilot. They decided not to do it after it got all the way, all the way to, should have been picked up. I mean, right. it was done. And, uh, I kind of got disillusioned with it. I went to Montreal in 2000. I did the Montreal Comedy Festival. Um, I got picked as best of the festival. I had my jokes quoted in the, in, as best of the festival. I was interviewed by all the local media as five of the top at the festival. Didn't get anything out of the festival. Oh, my God. And you're like... What am I doing? What, what am I doing? I'm I'm tired. I'm sick of the road. You know, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. At one point, you feel like I can't be any better. You know, 
personally, you go, I'm at the top of my game. If nobody out there wants to use me, I can't change this at all. Right. I can't. Th- and that's what you hate about this industry. You're not in control of your own destiny. Yeah. You're not. You can do the best shows you want. You might be happy. But if you think you're going to make yourself bigger, you're not. It has to be somebody else, like a god that taps you on the shoulder and goes, we're taking you to the next level. Right. Well, you know, and that's one of the ironies of, the in- of, of, of stand-up is because outside of that... You're in control of everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're you, it, Whether you show up here at Looney's tonight and get on stage, that's all on Steve McGrew. Right. Nobody is making you right. d- do that. And but if, then, you, if you do that show, too, if, like you're here, you do the show, you get a standing ovation. That means nothing to the industry. Right. It only means to your fans and you. Yeah. But to the industry, you're like, who? You know, fans will walk out. I've had people walk out and go, oh, my God, I can't believe you don't have a sitcom. Why, why, are you, why aren't you on HBO? Please tell me. I'd like for you to tell me. Right. You know. So how did you wade through that? Well, so at this point, I got offered morning radio in 2001 okay. at, at KYGO in Denver. Now, were you still in Texas at the time? No, I was, I was here. You were in Colorado. I was, I was in okay. Colorado. But I had just moved back because of the Disney deal. The gotcha, Dis- everything, gotcha. everything fell apart. Um, I was not happy with my agent. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go back to Colorado. I hated L.A. at the time, too, yeah. because L.A. is just not... It's really fake. It's really super fake. And I just wasn't raised that way. And uh, I thought I can go back and forth. If I need to be in a meeting, I can go, go back and whatever. So I'd moved back here to make my money go further. You know, you, you can buy a big house in Colorado for the price of a cabin in, <laughs> right. in, in L.A. Right, so that's right. what I, I, that was, I was doing. I was taking that, that pilot money, and I was going to spend it wisely on a bigger place here. Yeah. And it just happened at the time, they were looking for a radio sidekick for the morning show. And I thought, I'm sick of the road, I'm sick of doing this. Um, and I had been offered radio years earlier, about 15 years earlier, I got offered morning radio in, in St. Louis and thought, I don't want to do this, I'm a comic. You know, radio DJs suck, I've seen them go to comedy clubs. <laughs> they suck, they think they're funny. Right. And it just drove me crazy. You know, every time you see a DJ come out and start this little joke and bomb, and next thing you know, he's just throwing CDs. Thank you. Here, let's get on with the show. So I didn't want to do it. So, but at this point, in my head, I thought, what is the difference between going to a TV studio and playing a character and going to a radio studio and playing a character? Either one of those I was going to get a check from. Right, But right. in my head, I thought TV was where it was supposed to be. Yeah. So... I just went into radio for several years and did morning. It did well. Won, I won three CMA awards, country music awards, and a Marconi for radio. But now at this point, I'm getting radioed out. I'm just I'm over it. I'm done. You know, several years of, uh, and as you know, probably listening, radio's changed. Absolutely. Talk, talk breaks have changed. Yep. They don't like the morning shows doing what they used to do. Yep, yep. Um, so I got kind of burned out on that. At this point, now I'm rejuvenated to go back to stand-up. So now when I leave radio two years ago and go back to stand-up, I've got all this material that I've been wanting to do and thinking about and yeah. can't wait to get on stage. And now I've, I just did a show down in Birmingham, Alabama at the Stardome, which I've worked for years. And Bruce Ayers, who owns it, came up to me after my, my show and he goes, that was one of the best, best shows I've ever seen in my club. He goes, you're, you're better now than you've ever been. I go, well, I appreciate that. He goes, can you, I'd like to have you back and like as soon as possible. So I was like, well, cool. Yeah, I, I would, I would, yeah, let's do this. Right. So as, as the world does to you, I, I'm back quicker than I normally am. 
the last week of the, the show that I'm there, the Tommy T, who owns Tommy T's Comedy Clubs in California, there's two of them, he happened to be passing through Birmingham, saw me, and hired me on the spot for his two clubs in California. And it's, it's weird how it's like there's this rejuvenated comedy in me yeah. that I have. People are seeing it. But at the same time, I'm fighting the clubs because they're all like, well, we're looking for the new, the new guy, the new 20-something, the new... Why aren't you looking for what's funny right, or what's right. actually killing the clubs? Because that was one of the things the guy, uh, Tommy, told me. He goes, I've never seen a comic kill a room like that. You took everybody, the 20-year-olds and the 60-year-olds. The whole room was laughing. Right. And I think that's one of the things that's missing in a lot of comedy today is the mass appeal. Yeah. Like the 20-somethings talk to the 20-somethings. And that's it. Yeah. Now, do you think the, because uh, the, the one thing that kind of struck me is the uh, stepping away from comedy and then, you know, kind of going down that rabbit hole of, hey, I might have a sitcom and I'm going to go to Montreal, where I think a lot of comedians, that's sort of the holy grail of of success, yeah. whatever that is. But then you get to that point where it's like, well, what do I really want? I mean, did you ever kind of go through that, you know, where you're, did you really want a sitcom, or do you really want... You I think I did. I that's think, a horribly worded question. But no, you know no, what? it totally makes sense. Yeah. Totally, totally. Because, yeah, um, I was friends with Roseanne Barr, uh, you know, from the, from the Denver comedy right, scene. Right, right. So when she made it on her sitcom, I was still hanging out with her and her, her now ex-husband, Bill. Yeah. And I really enjoyed what came along with that. You know, with with watching her, and, and I would and I would hang out at their Hollywood Hills home, and and uh, you know, just being able to afford things or nicer things or go eat wherever you wanted to, right. and still be pretty normal. Yeah. You know, I her ex Bill is just like still like one of like, you know, one of us. Right, right. And so it's it's kind of, and I just ran into Roseanne again recently in, in Vegas, and she's, you know pretty normal for somebody that was as big and as rich as she is. Yeah. And I think that's part of what it... You don't have to let it take you out of your own world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so how do you deal with that, like you were saying earlier with, you know, going back to the to the pilot process that you went through where so much of that is out of your control? H how do you personally kind of reconcile that like you said you know you're funny and yeah. you know you can do what needs to be done but then when there's elements of it that you can't control how do it you kills you it you, absolutely kills you and this is the story of that disney pilot i was opening for the beach boys and uh one of the vice presidents of the agency that i was with saw me i had a great show for the beach boys and he goes he goes i don't think we've talked much i go no i was like no i haven't really i mean we've met and blah, blah, blah. and he goes what do you what do you want? What are you looking to do? And I was like, I, I want to do, you know, TV movie like everybody else. And he goes, Do you have any ideas for shows? I go, I do. He goes, Get one on my desk by by next week. Do you, if you have an idea, just write up an idea. Just write up a treatment, and I'm going to see what you. And that was the treatment was the idea for the show that I did called Trailer Trash. And uh, he liked the idea, said write the pilot, and I wrote the pilot. You know, wrote the whole thing. Right. But now, because of the industry, you have to have a producer and a showrunner, and they have to be network approved. Well, but if you already like my stuff, why can't you use my stuff? Where the creativity is getting sucked, sucked out, of, out it. of it. That's exactly what happened. 
It's ex- I started getting more and more, and people say, well, this isn't funny. And I go, yeah, it is, because that's in my stand-up. Well, it'd be funny if you used the word vodka, not alcohol. Well, why? Because that's K is a harder K. Is well, I, I use this in my act, and this joke works fine. Well, yeah. I think for TV, we need whatever, you know. And they started, and what happened is, me being from the South, the sitcom was based on the South. And I understand it's, you can make fun of the South, or you can portray the South. I was trying to portray the South. When they got a hold of it, it made it look like they were making fun of the... Like, we don't really talk like that. We don't say things like that. It was sort of a parody of what they thought the thought South... Thought the South should yeah. be. You were knee-high to a grasshopper. I've never used that phrase in my life. <laughs> I have never... Right, You know, right. that kind of... And I had an 80-year-old paper boy in my script. And they go, like, that, that'll that never work. That's not really... I go, no, it's true. Like, in the South... Old people have paper routes. They, you know, they just ride in their truck and throw. And it was just kind of things that they were like, no, that, that, I don't see that working. Yeah. And then we were fighting about the kids in the script. Like, they were always wanting to make the kids smart, smart mouth. And I hated it, especially at that point. Absolutely, yeah. Smart mouth kids. I hate to watch shows where kids act like they're smarter than their parents because they're not. And to me, that, that puts a bad thing in kids' heads that you could be a smart mouth little brat. Right. And so I always, I used to go relate, think back to Andy Griffith. How often did you see Opie ever zing Andy? Zero. Zero. Yeah. And I was trying to p- portray things. I wanted humor based in reality. Well, and furthermore, the, the Andy Griffith example, that was a fantastic show. Yeah. I mean, even today. Why do that, those shows stand the test of time? Exactly. Yeah, they're still entertaining today. Yeah. You know? Dick Van Dyke, all those shows. Uh, you watch Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. They were still, they're many movies. What they are is actually many movies. Yeah. And if you watch a lot of sitcoms from the 90s, they're dated. The references that they use, right, right. The, the the jokes, you're like, you know, if you just would have kind of had based in reality humor, yeah. you would not have these dated sitcoms. So having gone through kind of that period, and I don't want to dwell on That's that, but then, you know, having uh, you know tremendous success in the radio world and then kind of, you know, getting back into the stand-up world, how... How do you define success now? What does that feel Paying like? Paying my or bills. Look like? Paying your bills. Paying my bills. Yeah. Yeah. I've even somebody even asked me this agency that's been looking to take me on said, "What do you want to do?" And I go, "Pay my bills. I don't want to. I'm not chasing that that dream thing anymore. I'm not doing 42 weeks on the road. Yeah. Just that kills you. Right. And makes I mean, you quite, hate quite literally. Yeah. It can. Yeah. So I always want to. I don't have that. I want to do stand up. I love doing stand up. But you know what? I want to do it a couple times a month and pay my bills. Yeah. So now, having said that, what what advice would you give uh, young comedians that are just starting out? I mean, write as much as you can. Get on stage as much as you can. And because where I started down in Houston, it wasn't just the comedy workshop. We did uh, strip bars. There was a thing called Lone Star. I think it was called Lone Star Live, if I remember properly. Um, but it was comic, stripper, comic, stripper, comic. Oh, my God. So try to do that. Make that laugh, you know? <laughs> and then there was cl- just clubs like that that you, you kind of just had to get on stage and take, take a punch like a boxer and then realize really? you're not going to die. Even though your jokes did, it doesn't kill you. Just stand up there. Yeah. So I think you have to go through the trials and tribulations of a real 
real stand-up. Because it's kind of like the old days, vaudeville, and those things you see about those guys working the clubs. Get off, you suck! Behind chicken wire, and, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. right. So you kind of have to do that to build up your, your real chops. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Steve McGrew, man, it was a pleasure catching up with you. The one thing I did want to put a plug in for is uh, remasculate the uh, the podcast that you do. Oh, thank you. Um, it's fantastic. I just listened to the the recent episode you did with Jenna Elfman. Um, so definitely want to encourage folks oh. to go and track that down and, Jenna, and check that out. Jenna cracks me up. Uh, now, she, what's your connection with Jenna? How Jenna did you... is a friend of a friend. Okay. So being from L.A. and I've got, you know, I've been in the business and really have a lot. I have a lot of famous friends. Yeah. They're a lot more famous than me. <laughs> you know, just because. And another thing is being in the entertainment business, I treat different people differently. Uh, and it's one thing I've told my girlfriend one time. It's like. They're us, only they're bigger. Right. And I toured with Dolly Parton for a year as opening act, and I became and I learned how to hang around with real big stars. You just go, dude, your socks don't match. What? You know that kind of just treat them like everyday people. Yeah. So um, it's kind of that. It was a friend of a friend, and we became friends on Twitter. Like we hooked up through Twitter. One night I'm sitting in my bedroom. My girlfriend goes, "Who are you talking to?" I go, "Jenna Elfman." She goes, "You are not." I go, "I am." I'm talking to Jenna. She goes, "What?" She goes, showed her the my phone. She goes, "You are talking to Jenna." And I go, "Yeah, we're just. I mean, we're not friend friends, but we're we're friends." You yeah. know, it's like, and uh, so it was just that connection. If I just said, "Hey," you reached out and said, "You want to do the podcast?" Right. Yeah, I'd I'd love to. You know, and uh, uh, I don't know if you saw this on my Facebook. She dropped my name on uh, uh, New York TV. She went to New York City to plug them, her new movie, Big Stone Gap. No kidding. Yeah. And she, in her interview on, in, on, on TV, she goes, um, you know, if, I don't know if you know the comic Steve Mudflap McGrew. He has this podcast called Remasculate. Oh, that's awesome. She, he, he loved the movie. He goes, he told me he even teared up in the end. Oh, that's in the podcast, awesome. You know, the, Absolutely, and, yeah. and they go, what's his name? She goes, Steve Mudflap McGrew. She like repeated it twice. Yeah. They go, we'll have to check out his podcast. Oh, like, that's awesome. That's so awesome. And people are like, Jenna said your name on TV. Well, and the thing is, is with the, uh, a situation like that, it, there's there's authenticity there. She she had no obligation to you to say that. No. And so she said it because she wanted to say it. Yeah. And, 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 and I know, think she really wanted to say it too, to say that this podcast about men liked this, liked even liked my chick flick. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I love that. I just reached out today to try to get Don Henley on my podcast. Nice. I don't, I've never met him, don't know him, but I have friends that know the Eagles and yeah, friends yeah. that are, you know. No. So I just, I reached out and said, you know, I love his new album. It's one of the best albums I've heard. If anybody can hook me up. So I'm hoping like a friend of a friend Absolutely. will hook me up. No harm in asking. Yeah. And where else can folks find you online, Steve, if they want to track you down? Uh, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Vine. What I always tell people whenever I do these kind of promos or real radio, I go, Google Steve McGrew. Seriously, Perfect. all kind of crap pops up. Perfect. Excellent. Well, Steve, man, it was an absolute pleasure sitting down Thanks, with you. Thanks, man. I enjoyed it. Oh, good. Good. We'll have a great week uh, here at Looney's. And Thank you. Hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Thanks, man. So there you have it, stand-up comedian Steve Mudflap McGrew. My thanks to Steve for taking time out before his headlining weekend at Looney's to be on the show. Steve is definitely one of the good guys, and I encourage you to track him down online and catch him live when you get the chance. Thanks, as always, to the legendary Looney's Comedy Corner for their continued support. And, of course, thank you for listening to In the Springs. In the Springs is still looking for some original intro and outro music, so hit me up if you're in the area and want your music featured on the podcast. 
The In The Springs podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow In The Springs on Twitter at RPL underscore Metajunk. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs.